how can you enter the market at a reasonable price to test and validate your data and your processes and your ideas to know that it's going to work. All right, you're listening to the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com, a show about how to build your e-commerce business to be profitable, scalable, and one day even sellable. I'm Isaac Porter, and on the show today, we have Andy Hooper from Global E-Commerce Experts. He comes on the show to give us the inside scoop on how to take our businesses international. Global e-commerce sales is now roughly at $6 trillion a year, and the United States share of that is impressive, but it's only about $1 trillion. That means if you're listening to this and you're in the United States, international e-commerce is a little more than 80% of the entire global market. So if we're not looking internationally, we're missing out. But how do you make the move to bring your brand internationally when you're a U.S.-predominated company? Let's talk to Andy and find out. Hey, Andy, how you doing today, man? Hey, Isaac. Thanks very much for having us. So, uh, Andy, tell us a little about what the international e-commerce market looks like right now. Yeah, the uh, you know, e-commerce as a whole is you know it's still actually very very new. You know, whilst you know lots of us have been involved in it for some time, you know the 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 route to growing and scaling the business is that international piece without any shadow of doubt. And those numbers you picked out really really highlight that. As a brand owner, as most e-com sellers are, the opportunity to grow and scale your business further is without any shadow of doubt international. When you start looking at the numbers for different regions of the world, you know, the States is one significant player, but it isn't the majority. And typically when people want to expand and grow their brand, there's easy ways and difficult ways to do that. You know, taking it to English-speaking countries to start off with because you're in an English-speaking country. That sort of makes sense, right? But there, there are some easy wins and some slower wins. But ideally, when you're looking to expand, typically we're talking to our clients, we tell them they should be expecting sort of a 80% of their US sales in the first sort of phase of expansion. Awesome. So what areas are you seeing internationally right now that have the fastest growth in e-commerce? So I think some of the fastest areas are things, you know, we're moving out of a period where we've had the C word, we've had COVID, you know, the the things that sold really, really well during COVID are actually coming down in sales. You know, people bought things they can do outside for two years. So actually some of the outdoor types of products are actually slowing down in sales in comparison to some of the other things. You know, we're moving into the R word, recession potentially. You know, things that yeah. sell well in that times are, board games, card games, things that people can do at home with their families, you know, a a relatively affordable way. We've seen that. We've seen a pullback in sales from the companies that we're representing and talking to between 21 and 22. But if I'm comparing 22 over 2019, the companies have still trended up. And if you look at a kind of a compounded annual growth rate, we're essentially on track for the growth rate that we had pre-COVID. So Andy, when you're thinking about what markets internationally outside of the US are growing the fastest, what what are you seeing right now? So the fastest growing markets outside of the US, and if you look at the, the charts, if you like, Japan is next after the US. After that, you've got the UK, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, Australia comes a bit further down. 
Are you talking about the growth rate or the total share of e-commerce as a, as a percentage of retail? Well, that's the share of e-commerce. And the reason I go by that number rather than the, the scale of which they're growing. So Spain, for example, is probably the fastest growing out of all of them. But the problem is it's really small in the first place. So yeah. when, you're, when you're really small, the, you're, you're just catching up all that whole time. And you, know, the, you sort of section each sort of region, if you like. So Japan is one region. Europe's another region. So Europe is probably the biggest next piece outside of North America. And then outside of that is Japan. And you, I mean, but when you start looking at opportunity, like India's, Russia, you know, China, all of those are massive opportunities, but they're very, very complicated. Yeah. Complicated logistically or from a kind of legal and IP perspective or all of the above? Just all of the above, I think would be fair to say. Um, okay. I, I think, you know, India, I think, is the most promising without any shadow of a doubt. I think the other two are just overcomplicated and we just avoid at all costs. Gotcha. Okay. I want to think about this from two, two different perspectives because we... Um, the majority of the companies that we work with and represent are U.S. domiciled businesses. Some of them have ex expanded internationally already. Many of them are just focused on the on the U.S. market. We also have a, a significant portion of our clients who are internationally domiciled businesses in the in the European Union, Israel, China, Australia is a big market for us. Uh, and in in a lot of cases, those companies haven't moved to the U.S. So. What's easier? Is it easier for a an international? And I'm speaking from the term of a of a U.S. perspective here. So, yep. international company coming into the U.S. or is it easier for an a U.S. company to move internationally? Or is it is it the same complexity in either direction? To be honest, it depends on coming back to that. It just depends on the expertise. I think that the U.S. is the bigger opportunity for for sellers if they're not in the U.S. already. I think that's definitely the the, the place to start. But if you're already in the U.S., then Actually, the next market typically is the European market, which is the next biggest without any shadow of a doubt. Yeah, we're we're very focused on on the EU uh, and the UK as expansion markets for our work at website closers because we see so much deal flow out of those countries. Uh, but tell me a little more about global e-commerce experts. So, what do you what do you do exactly for your clients? How do your services work? How's the business monetized? You know what. What's the business model? So we successfully expand US e-commerce brands into Europe. That's our core uh, market. That's what we do. Now, when you're expanding to a new market, the problem comes where if you're in a new region or you're, you're expanding to a new continent, there's so many different things that you need to understand. It becomes overcomplicated and you almost overcomplicate it and never do it because it just seems too complicated. Right. And yeah. there's so many different agencies and support information out there that typically you need 20 different agencies or service providers to enable that to happen. So what we did is we basically pulled that all under one roof. So when someone wants to expand, we solve all their logistics problems, all their compliance problems, and run all their accounts for them and manage the day-to-day -day for them should they need it. So the ideal being that we're a service provider, that when someone wants to expand, we can hold their hand and do everything for them, everything from picking their stock up from the factory in China or said other location, all the way through to B2B and B2C fulfillment right here, including all the business and product compliance that makes it happen. Awesome. Well, that's, that's huge. So how, how do you kind of, how do you charge for that? Is it a percentage of sales? Is it a fixed fee? Is it, uh, you know, what's, what does that look like? So we're a service provider. So what we do is we charge per service 
typically. And the more services that you use, the better discounts we can give on you know, across the range of services because we're already doing lots of different things. So that's that's typically how we work. We charge per service. We're a service provider. Our consultancy comes for free. Our growth managers that help you scale to get 80% of your sales in the US come for free. So we, we do all the consultancy and nice to do stuff for free, but we provide the services to enable it to happen. And it, it's no different to having you know, someone do your shipping and you pay for the container or someone do the customs or someone do the 3PL and all the rest of it. It's exactly the same. We just put that all under one roof to make that easy for people. And when it comes to how do we fit in the market, typically we're not the cheapest, but we're not the most expensive. We're mid price range, but of course, by doing it all together, we save everyone money because it's just easier for people. Interesting. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And it seems like it'd be much more simplified for the for the brand owner. So um, let me ask you a question. So if, if okay, and I'm, I've got a, an FBA business, uh, I, I sell in the pet product space. Um, I want to bring that to, you know, I want to enter, let's say, all the markets in the European Union also got a Shopify site and I'm, I'm D2C. So let's just stay on the, on the Shopify D2C site because that's uh, somewhat different than the FBA model. Um, yep. But do I need a URL for the Netherlands and a URL for France and for Germany uh, and for Spain and for Portugal and for the U- UK? I mean, UK seems like it'd be the easiest one because of the language. But do I need a, a language-specific URL for each country or is there a way that I could have one, one site and effectively market to, you know, the, the clientele in each of those countries. So I'm going to give you two answers to that. And I know that doesn't help. So the first one is from a speed of launch, we all know that the quicker you get things done, the quicker to the market, the better for the product. We all know that sales velocity is key. We, We all get that. So the first step actually is really about, yes, you can have you one storefront, have multiple languages on that and make that happen. Yes, you can do that without any shadow of a doubt. The long-term play for that and the disadvantage of that is that you can't build up SEO ranking language you specific in each country. So when you're starting, it's fine. There's no problem with you just having one site and having it you translate, no problems. But when you try to build that out further, you need to make sure that you do have, you know, .co.uk in the UK, .ede in Germany, .fr in France, and obviously the list goes on. Okay, that makes sense because when I'm when I'm talking to brands that are already that are let's say European Union based brands that are doing well, that's what I see typically. I see that they've got they've got a URL for every country, and they've got uh, a site that is in. The native language of that particular country, and and so what you're saying is they're doing that for SEO ranking purposes, which makes total sense. Uh, I didn't hundred percent. I didn't put that together, but that that kind of ties it together. But you're saying better to get started with maybe one or two sites, get it up and running, and then build out the infrastructure of of country specific sites for your products. Yeah, and I think you've got to have a launch strategy. You've got to have a process to launch the business and decide you where's going to be best and where's not going to be best. You know, typically for a lot of our sellers, they launch in the UK and Germany to start off with, whether that be Amazon or their own website, because it accounts for the majority of sales in most cases. So that's a really good place to start. And as you start to see the sales pick up in France, Germany, uh, sorry, France, Poland, Switzerland, I don't know, Netherlands, Spain, Italy, wherever, you can then build out those next sites based on the data you're seeing. 
and use the data to enhance your expansion plan. Awesome. Okay. That that makes that makes a lot of sense. So let me let me roll that back a step further than talking about the data. So how do I if if I've got a product, right? How do I test and understand if there is a market for my product in Germany or France or the Netherlands or Spain or Japan? You know, how can I how can I just uh, find out if my product is going to sell before I make a big investment in a launch in a foreign country? You know, there's no golden bullet here, silver bullet, whatever you want to call it, without any shadow of a doubt. You know, there's two things to do. One, there's market research beforehand. You've got to check your competitors. You've got to see what other people are doing. You've got to see what the market is telling you, number one. Number two, you need to find people in that region that can give you some tips and some advice without any shadow of a doubt. The third thing is about how can you enter the market at a reasonable price to test and validate your data and your processes and your ideas to know that it's going to work. So typically, a lot of the sellers we work with and brands actually use something like Amazon as a great testing platform. When they're on multiple marketplaces and multiple websites and things like that in you in their home market in the US, wherever that might be, actually, Amazon's a really good test bed for that because what you can do is you can send your products into the new region, if you like, and everything's sort of done for you. You sort of understand Amazon's got this perfect little seller central that, you know, you still understand. It's not different. I mean, all right, there's a few tweaks and differences between one seller central and another in different regions, but broadly, it's exactly the same thing you see. And you can use that as a validation tool to help you make a decision without any shadow of a doubt. Okay, that that's cool. I think that's a great kind of iterative step to completing a full a full product rollout and launch to to test that market. So let me ask you another question that I've been this is just something I've been curious about. I've seen a few brands that I would think of as very US market specific that have actually done incredibly well in European countries and I'll give you some specific examples. So we uh, sold a company that is mostly a uh, a, a t-shirt seller. They're on Amazon's FBA company. But what was interesting to me is their their t-shirts were all military t-shirts. So all US military t-shirts, apparel, hats, stuff like that. They launched in Germany and killed it. They launched in France, fell flat on its face, sold nothing. And so they were, you know, it was just really interesting to me that there was a market for somebody buying, you know, a, a shirt that said Marines in Germany. Um, but the French didn't sell at all. They tried rolling out German military apparel in Germany, and it wasn't that successful. So just some interesting nuances to me. Uh, another one example that we had is we've got a, a company we sold that it's in the firearms category, and they make a, it's a, um, an app and a, a digital laser device that goes in your gun so you can practice without live ammunition. They, for a long time, thought that there would not be a market for that product in in the EU at all. They had a distributor who started taking it to gun shows in France, uh, did well. They launched in France. They've absolutely killed it because it turns out it's hard to buy live ammunition in France. And so people want to target practice without live ammo. And so that's done really well. So there's there's some of these brands where I, I would, you know, I wouldn't expect them to do well in these markets, but they're killing it. And there's other times where I would expect it to be internationally interesting and it, and it hasn't been. So you know, have you seen any scenarios like that and any kind of anecdotal stories you can share? Yeah, they, I mean, loads, exactly like that. You you sort of see a product come across your 
the desk like oh look, we've got a new client coming in they want to expand with this you're like that is gonna kill it totally agree and then actually you then you then start looking at the data as it comes through and it's not anywhere near as successful as you think it is yeah but then you get the complete opposite so you know as you were talking there right, you all of those things are completely down to the culture of the country and where you're launching and understanding the culture in those different regions in those different countries you know when we talk about europe as a whole yeah, there's 28 countries. So, you know, you've got 28 different cultures that you've got to consider when you're selling in those different countries, you know, and it's no surprise to me that something worked in Germany and doesn't work in France and exactly the opposite happens every single day. Things like supplements kill it in France, don't kill it in Germany. Interesting. You know, yeah, that's fascinating it, it, to me. That Those cultural differences are, are so interesting and I think and like really important to understand and test and and – and then there's ways to exploit them, right? And and to to really take advantage of those market opportunities. And there's probably ways to lose a lot of money if you do it the wrong way as well. Yeah, I think it's understanding the culture, working out where the differences are. It's not just the culture, it's the the, the changes in season every year. You know, it, there's a complete wide range between, you know, southern Spain and Scotland in the UK. You know, going into Norway, Sweden, and all these different countries, you know, it's completely different, you know, landscape, different, you know, culture, everything is different. So you have to bear in mind the product you're selling, where will it sell best? You know, if you're selling bed sheets, a great example, you know, the bed sizes in the US and Europe are different. Mm-hmm. So you, you can't order the same size stock. It just doesn't work. But you can order the same pattern. You just have to get it made in a different size. So there's lots of examples like that where, you know, you've got to do your market research before you expand to understand these nuances and do a test. You've got to test and use the data. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, you know, and and, and our audience, as you know, are e-commerce sellers that are thinking about an exit or planning for an exit or have at least that in their mind. What I've seen from a valuation perspective is that businesses that are selling internationally that are in more than one market are perceived as less risky overall because they're they've got a broader array of distribution they've got a more sophisticated logistics process set up and because of that they receive higher valuations they're getting they're getting paid for not only the extra sales that they're generating but the perception of having an interna- internationally recognized brand and so i think there's there's value of course, growing growing your revenue and and selling more products will always drive value in an exit process. But there's on top of that, there's a premium for brands that are selling internationally, that are in multiple countries because it shows that there's broad appeal for the products, as well as this concept of of risk diversification through through different companies, which makes the cash flow more you know less volatile and more certain, and therefore they get paid more for it. So um, I think there's a real value proposition for businesses to think about expanding internationally to increase the value of their brand as well as to grow the size of their business. A hundred percent. I mean, there's, you know, we work with a fair number of different players in the market and, you know, when you are, you thinking about a brand as a whole, one, the compliance in Europe is more complicated without any shadow of a doubt than it is in most regulations in the US. So actually, to in order for a brand to expand into Europe, they've got to have done all that hard work first in most cases. So they're doing all that work. So when someone buys the brand, they haven't got that hurdle to overcome. So the, the ability for them to expand their brand and grow that and scale that 
is much better. As whereas, you know, if you've got a brand that's solely focused in the US, you know, we work with a number of different aggregators where they buy a brand, they hand them to us, and we get them all ready to go. So they just and they expand them and launch them straight away in Europe. But obviously, you've got all of the business compliance to do. You've got all the product compliance to do. You've got the logistics piece to solve. You've got to make sure you can get stock in the region. And then you've got to think about, well, no one's seen our product in the region before. How's it even going to go? What stock volume are we going to have? So there's lots of things to consider. We definitely see, coming back to the real point there, that people with, they've already expanded to Europe, typically have a, high, a higher EBIT. That make that that obviously makes life a little bit easier, and the multiple does tend to be slightly higher because of that ease to make stuff happen without yep. any shadow of a doubt. Yeah, and 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 your business can can handle all of those logistical issues that are needed in, to enter the market in European company. The, the compliance, the regulatory piece, the the shipping, the you know a three P, local three PLs. You guys can take that all off a seller's plate. Exactly that. All of that complicated stuff. So I'm an entrepreneur. I've had loads of different businesses and I love solving problems for people. So when we started working, I had an Amazon business myself. You know, when I started working with Amazon sellers to expand into Europe, I just got to solve all these problems. So every time they were like, a client said to me, oh, Andy, I'm having this problem with this. I'm like, let me solve it. Right. Shiny object syndrome. Let me solve that for the client. So basically when someone expands exactly that, you know, the, the things that tie people up in knots is compliance whether that be your taxes or the product compliance yeah we solve all that and the thing that's the most frustrating is the logistics whether it be getting product into the country or distributing it around europe you we've got a shipping company we've got we've got warehouses across the uk and europe we can distribute it so not only do we take away the pain of the compliance which is just hugely annoying and making sure your business is compliant and your product is compliant, we solve all your headaches, which is the more frustrating part when you get further down the line. Because you just want it seamless and easily, basically. That's the key, isn't it? Yeah. What are some things we're not thinking about that we should be? You know, what are some potential concerns? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a U.S. brand owner, owner selling 100% of my products in the U.S., thinking about moving into, let's just stick with Europe. What am I not thinking about that I should be concerned with that I don't know, you know? The key things that everyone trips them up, we've already discussed, is the compliance. Tax and product compliance. They're the things that just tie everybody up. So get those pieces solved. They're, that's the key thing you need to understand. That's that's the first thing. I think shipping your products in, you need to identify where you're going to ship your products to before you send them, obviously, because it obviously you've got to put someone's address on it. But you need to make sure that when you're sending it in, your business is ready to go into that country. So for example, if your products are made outside of Europe and you're shipping into Germany, for example, Germany requires some things to do with your business to make sure your business has an entity in Germany, which of course you won't. So there's a few things you need to consider when you're shipping into those countries. So Logistically wise, you need to make sure that you're fully set up and dialed in before you go in. You know, you're launching those products without any shadow of a doubt. You need to make sure you've done the market research beforehand. Like, just don't fall foul of, oh, well, I'm sending this product in. Oh, I can't sell that product in France. You know, I can't sell, like, fur. Let's take fur as a great example. You can sell that in France, but you can't sell that in the UK. Great example. Certain types of ammunition. You can't sell, like coming onto weapons. There are certain things that you can sell in Germany, but you can't 
sell anywhere else in Europe. Mm. So yeah. depending on your product is going to depend. You need to make sure you're doing that first. Like, is your product organic? Like, you know, as soon as you start putting things like organic on your labels, you're going to need to start going through a whole load of more regulatory checks to make sure that that's okay. Yeah. Um, so they're typically the things that get people most tied up in knots is the shipping. Do you need an importer record? Do you need, you know, what do you, what does your products look like? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm convinced. I think the, uh, the next brand that I, that I acquire or, uh, or, or sell, you know, I'll recommend that the, that the buyer, you know, gets with you. So how, how are you measuring success with your, with your clients? What are kind of the KPIs that you're keeping an eye on to track whether the expansions are successful and how fast these brands are growing as a result of it. So our, our motto vision, if you like, is to successfully expand e-commerce brands. That that's our motto. And to do that in Europe, our track and KPI is to get 80% of the U S sales from day one. So let's take a brand that's doing a million quid. They come to us today and they do, uh, sorry, a million dollars. They're doing a million dollars. Our target is to get them to 80% of that in the first 12 to 12 to 36 months now it depends on the brand it depends on how about their launch strategy it depends on a whole load of factors but our target that we've got growth managers who work with our clients is to get them to 80 percent okay that's the target that's the kpi and of our clients we're seeing that it typically takes 26 months on average to get there bear in mind our average client is five to 20 million awesome that's a huge growth rate on those companies. So, and are, are you handling, uh, I don't think I've asked you this, but are you handling also paid advertising for these specific countries that the, that your clients are moving into? We do have an account management process that helps run the accounts for them. No problems that at all. We don't do Google ads, SEO type ads. We do work with marketplaces like Amazon where we can run your Amazon accounts for you. We basically are what we would class as your outsourced expert in the region. Gotcha. What we're not is your pay-per-click expert, your listing optimization expert, your you know, meta tag expert, and all the all the other bits that you might spend thousands of dollars on individually for your brand in the US. So we are outsourced day-to-day expert, not your guru on ads in Europe if that makes sense. Yep. You know, so you can trust us to run your account and we can do your ads and we can do those sort of things, but we're only going to do them on a day-to-day basis to get your account up and running and set, it, set up, not to skyrocket that and give you all these claims under the roof that most agencies don't even get to. Yeah. Another story, I guess. Yeah, that's, <laughs> maybe that's another podcast, but yeah, we've seen, I've certainly seen a lot of, uh, a lot of major fails with, with uh, digital marketing agencies, especially uh, in the last 18 months. So if there's a call to action, Andy, that you want our listeners to take from this conversation, what, what would that be? There's two. One, expansion is easier than you think if you're working with the right partners. There's a huge amount of content out there that can support you, guide you, help you, advise you, and everything else. Go listen to that content. Uh, we've got a huge amount on our podcast, so Globally Commerce Expanders, you can go and listen to that. We tell you exactly what to do, how to do it. You can go and absorb all the information. But don't think that expansion is difficult. The process is simple and easy. And the second part of that is to make that simple and easy, we devised, based on having done this for 2,000 clients, a simple seven-step strategy that can help you to expand. So you can go to our website, forward slash podcast, and you can download our seven-step guide. If you Google globally commerce experts, you'll find our website and just do forward slash podcast. There's a It's not behind any wall, so you haven't got to put your 
emailing or anything like that, you can just go and download it. And then if you're interested and want to learn more, you can get in contact with us. Awesome. It makes complete sense what you're doing to me. It's a huge market opportunity and it's a major value driver for the clients that we're working with to expand into into European and, and other global markets. Major opportunities, some really low hanging fruit in those markets. And it's, you know, having somebody who's been there, done that would make it a lot, a lot easier for them to know that they're not going to make mistakes along the way, which are going to cost them a lot more money than just, you know, getting an expert involved from the get go. So thanks, everyone. That was Andy Hooper, CEO of Global E-Commerce Expert, which, again, you can find at globalecommerceexperts.com. That's global e commerceexperts.com. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by websitecloser's.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate us, write a review, press the follow button and share it with your network. And of course, if you're looking for help selling your e-commerce business, be sure to visit websitecloser's.com. This episode was edited and produced by Earfluence. I'm Isaac Porter. Follow me on LinkedIn and we'll see you next time on the Deal Closers podcast.